front desk, chapter 55. I thought the whole point of having customers fill in their addresses was so you could mail them their stuff back in case they left it behind, Mr. Yao said after the girl and her mom left. Wasn't that your idea? I couldn't speak. The humiliation had burned a hole in my tongue. I vowed never to talk to him again. My parents slipped back in through the back door and joined us. Where'd you guys go? Mr. Yao asked. You guys missed the whole thing. In all his excitement over the jeans, he had completely forgotten about the immigrants in room six. I looked up at my mom and could tell from her face that they were safe. My mom would never know the price I paid for their safety. Jason knew. The whole time his dad was interrogating me, he had been looking out the window. He saw my parents knock on room six door. He saw them sneak the immigrants out of their rooms and out the back. He saw the whole thing, but he never said anything. Dear Jason, thank you for not saying anything to your dad. I don't know why, but you didn't. Maybe you're not so bad after all. Your friend crossed that. Your classmate, Mia. I stared at the last part. Maybe you're not so bad after all. My grandmother used to say that people don't change. Our heart is like a rubber band. It might stretch a little bit, but eventually it snaps right back. I'm not sure if I believe that. Part of me did. We were talking about Jason here, the same kid who took my pencil, the same kid who took my pencil and licked it. The other part of me, though, wondered. There used to be a time when I let my cousins walk all over me. They were all boys and I was the only girl, and in China, girls are kind of like spare tires. It's nice if you have one, but they're not important. Even my grandmother, whom I loved and missed so much, believed this. She believed it was like she believed the sky was blue, like it was a fact. Girls were just not as useful as boys. She never came out and said that, of course, but she'd have little ways of showing it, like always putting the best dishes in front of my cousins at family dinner and not me. She'd pat their heads and tell them to eat up before the dish got cold, and I'd watch as she snatched and grabbed the food with their greedy chopsticks until they were hardly any more pieces of chicken left for me, only burnt onions. One day, I picked up my chopsticks and started grabbing back. I snagged chicken, shrimp, whatever I could pick up with my chopsticks and hoarded it all in my mouth. Hey, Shen complained, not fair. We weren't close then, and I narrowed my eyes at him. As I picked up my chopsticks to reach for more food, Shen blocked my chopsticks with his. Our chopsticks collided like swords. The two of us held them in position, neither willing to back down. It went all like this the next night and the night after that. Eventually, our chopsticks war got so bad, my grandmother had to use her own chopsticks to draw a line in the food and declare one side mine and the other side Shen's. From then on, every dish had a line. I remember countless birthdays, Chinese New Year, everything had a line. Then one day, I looked down, and the line was gone. My grandmother had forgotten to draw it. I waited for Shen to take the first piece of chicken, and he waited for me. Neither of us grabbed. Neither of us hoarded. Somehow, we'd gone from food enemies to friends. Neither of us knew what it had, when it had happened. We just knew we no longer needed the line. I thought about that and how maybe people do change, as I thought about Jason. I didn't end up giving the letter to Jason. I was going to, but for some reason, I just didn't. You know how sometimes you raise your hand, but when the teacher finally calls on you, you pretend you are only tucking your hair? It was kind of like that. As the first of the spring flowers bloomed, I tried to forget the painful memory of my jeans. It helped that I had Hank and Lupe to distract me, and the mailman. Every time he came, I thought about the contest. I thought, this is it. Today's the day my life's going to change. But the letter from Vermont did not arrive. Other unexpected news did arrive. 
Though which completely shook up our world, Mr. Yao was selling the motel. My parents' faces turned white. The temperature in the room plummeted as Mr. Yao told the news. A real estate deal for him in Nevada had gone bad and he needed a cash injection. So what does that mean for us? My parents asked him. You? Mr. Yao asked. He snorted, like we hadn't occurred to him at all. Then he shrugged. Depends on what the new owner wants you to do. He said it like it was an inventory, freely disposable along with the washer and dryer. Lupe told me not to worry. Motels weren't like houses. They took ages to sell. There's a whole inspection process and everything, she said. I'm sure you guys are going to be out of here before Mr. Yao even finds a buyer. Have you told your parents about the essay contest yet? No, I said. I didn't know what it was about. What was... I don't know what it was about me and the secrets. Once I had one, I just couldn't let it go. I would feed it and snuggle it and it would grow and grow inside me until it took on a life of its own. So no, I hadn't told my parents. I'd been too busy imagining the look of surprise on their faces to actually surprise them. <sighs> They're going to freak when you win, Lupe said with a smile. My parents did freak, but not over my winning the contest. They were freaking out over who the new motel owner was going to be. Oh God, what if he hates Chinese people, my mother asked, biting down on her nail. Or if he wants to run it himself, my father said. Should we look for another job, my mom asked. What should we do? My parents paced the living room, fretting and panicking, while I sat quietly in the corner. That was the problem with keeping a secret. You're all alone on your own little island. Have you ever thought about how nice it would be if we owned the motel, I asked. The kind of, I kind of just threw it out there. My dad laughed. That would be nice, he said. He looked into the distance and let himself imagine for a second. We wouldn't have to work every single day. We can take Sundays off together as a family. We could all go swimming, my mom added. I'd love to jump in that pool. Me too, I said. I'd love to get some sleep, my dad said. If we owned the motel, I could put up a sign that says, sorry, I'm sleeping. Come back in the morning. A smile played at his lips as he pictured the extraordinary life would be if we could sleep through the night. Then his smile faded and reality set in. Maybe in another life, he said, picking up his broom. I shook my head. No, Dad, not in another life, I said. In this life. Our eyes locked. A second passed and then another. And then I whispered my secret. Front Desk, Chapter 56. They didn't say a word at first. I thought perhaps they were too shocked. Sometimes when I'm too shocked, I can't speak either. That's why I write things down, and even then, sometimes I can't bring myself to deliver them, like my thank you letter to Jason, which was just sitting there at the bottom of my backpack. I thought maybe my parents were just taking their time too, taking their time to find the right words, but then I looked up and saw my mother's disappointment. You're not going to win, she said. Her voice was certain, positive. She looked right at me, her eyes a mixture of pain and sadness but not sad like I'm sad you're not going to win. Sad like I'm sad you actually thought you could win. I wanted to grab her and shake her. You're wrong, mom. I'm not a bike, you'll see, I yelled. My mom put her hands on my arms. No, honey, she said. I mean, those sweep takes are all rigged. The news slapped me across the face. For a second, I was fully blind, and then I flat out denied it. It's not rigged. No, of course not, my dad jumped in. But just think about it. Why would they just give away a motel like that? My mother asked. Because they're old, I said. They don't care about the money. They're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Have you ever seen anybody in this country do something out of the goodness of their heart? The doctor who fixed you up, remember him? 
My mother's face softened. She didn't talk about the contest being rigged after all. Still, the doubt lingered with me. What if she was right? Front Desk, Chapter 57 Mr. Yao came over the next day, poring over the numbers and figures in the big ledger with an intensity I'd never seen before. He took over the entire front desk, making calls, pounding so madly on the calculator, I thought it might break it. I didn't really want to be in the same room with him, after what happened with my jeans, but I stayed behind so I could put the blue baseball cap on the table. Mr. Yao, Mr. Yao looked up from the ledger. He pointed at the blue baseball cap. That used to be the old manager's, he said. I didn't say anything. I didn't feel like talking to Mr. Yao, and especially not about the hat. His name was Ye Fi, but he called himself Jerry. He continued. He picked the hat up and chuckled to himself. I remember when he got this hat. He didn't even know what the Yankees were, so why'd he get it? I wondered out loud, instantly frowning because I'd broken the vow never to talk to Mr. Yao again. Shoot. He liked the way the Y looked. He says, his name starts with Y, he said. Mr. Yao put the cap back on the desk and looked into the distance. He was a good guy, that Yi. Very hard worker. Wait, what? Had I heard that right? The two before him? Totally useless. Incompetent. Doesn't even cut it. They couldn't do a single thing without calling me, he said, shaking his head. How many managers have you had? I asked him. Oh, I don't know. I don't count these things. And we were back. These things. But he was a good one, that E. I wondered for a second how Mr. Yao would talk about us after we left for Vermont. How would he take the news? Sooner or later, they'll all leave, Mr. Yao answered with a sigh, as if he had read my thoughts. Maybe it was nicer to him. Maybe he was nicer to him. They wouldn't leave. Maybe if he was nicer to them, they wouldn't leave. I thought as I gazed at Mr. Yao, his face hardened by all the years and managers who had come and gone. I wondered what young Mr. Yao was like when he first started out. Was he less of a jerk or the same? I wish I could ask him. The phone disrupted my thought. Mr. Yao grabbed it and in an instant he was back to his usual no-nonsense, you're only as good as your last envelope self. Bobby, no listen, I'll get you the money, he said into the phone, waving me away to give him some privacy. I went into the room and replayed what Mr. Yao said about the old manager in my head. A part of me hoped he could say good things about us after we left, even if he never said them to us. The next week, the letter I'd been waiting for arrived. I held it in the trembling hands, staring and staring at the words, Vermont Motel Giveaway Committee. Terrified what it might contain. Hank, I shouted, it's here. As the weeklies of my parents piled into the manager's quarters, Hank stood up and cleared his throat. Everybody, I think that we can all agree that little Mia here has changed our lives each and every one of us in this room, Hank said. Heads nodded. Here, here, Billy Bob said. Mr. Q reached over and gave my hand a squeeze. Well, now it's her turn. Today, our girl's life is going to change. And it's about time, I said, Hank exclaimed. Woo, Fred cheered. Hank took his glass of cream soda and held it up. To Mia! Everybody held up their, everybody held up their glasses. To Mia, the room boomed. I looked around the room, the corner of my eyes wet with gratitude. Love welled inside of me as I smiled back at the Weeklies. Here we were, strangers from all corners of the world, blown to the Cala Vista by the winds of life, only to find each other and reemerge as a new family. Thank you guys so much, I said. I thought about how much I was going to miss the Weeklies in Vermont, especially Hank. A lump formed in my throat. 
Hank pointed at the envelope in my hand. May I do the honors, he asked me. I nodded. He took the envelope from me. This is it, people. Hank rubbed his hands together. We all held our breaths as Hank opened the envelope. My heart raced so hard I thought it might come out flying out of my chest. As Hank unfolded the letter, my mother put her fist to her teeth, her knuckles the color of porcelain. My father's knees were on the floor, his hands folded together, eyes in the ceiling. Thank you for applying for the Vermont Motel giveaway. Hank read, We bred every single entry over very carefully, and we regret to inform you. Hank's smile vanished. What? What is it? I asked. Hank put the letter down, and I knew. Front Desk, Chapter 58 We sat in silence, the hot tears pooling in my eyes, Billy Bob's hands bawling into fists, and Mrs. Q shaking her head, blinking hard, blowing her nose into a tissue like someone had died. Because in a way, that's what it felt like. Our dream had died. This is bull, Hank yelled. He looked madder than I'd ever seen him before. Madder even than when he threw that guy out of the motel. It's okay, I said softly. No, it's not okay, he bellowed. He got up and walked across the room. How could they do this? Maybe what I wrote just wasn't. The lump in my throat became a boulder. Just wasn't good enough. They slithered in like eels. You're a bike. The other kids are cars. You'll never be as good as a white kid in their language. I tried to stop it, but it was no use. Doubt came in through every pore. Hank shook his head. You know what? I'll bet the whole thing's a scam, Hank said. They're probably not giving away a motel. They just wanted the money. Probably thought $300 is nothing to people. They didn't know you sold your lucky pennies. My dad's face plunged. You... You sold the lucky pennies, he asked? He looked away immediately, but there was a second. A second in which I saw into his crystal clear. I saw his hope fade away. We'll help you find new ones, Hank said, looking around the other weeklies. We'll all look, won't we? The weeklies instantly started digging into their pockets for loose change. No, it's fine, my dad said. It's I'm fine. Later that night, the weeklies went back to their rooms, and I sat with the emptiness that was almost unbearable. I went out the back to look for my dad. I found him sitting by himself in the laundry room. Hey, dad, I said. He looked up at me, his eyes pink and moist, like he'd been crying. Hey, sweetheart, he said. He quickly dabbed his eyes with the towels. I'm sorry I sold our lucky pennies, I said to him. I told myself I wasn't going to cry, but the tears came anyway. My father pulled me into his arms. Hey, no, it's okay. You win some, you lose some, he said, kissing the top of my head. But I always lose some. My dad looked down at me and wiped a tear away. That's not true, he said. Because of you, Uncle Zang's now free. Hank has a new job. I'd call that a win. But I really wanted to win for us this time, I muttered. My dad rocked me in his arms. I know you did, sweetheart, he said, his voice shaking. I know you did.